the people coming from village where they lived all their land and house, most of Bhutan are now getting emptied in the rural areas. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Into Library. My name is Craig and I'm a public librarian in Vermont. Each episode I focus on a different place in the world to highlight the good work being done by librarians in that country. In this episode, I talk to four people working in libraries in the Kingdom of Bhutan. First, here's some information about the country. Bhutan is a landlocked country in the eastern Himalayas bordered by China to the north and India everywhere else. It's just east of Nepal and just north of Bangladesh. It's a small country, a bit smaller than Switzerland and a bit bigger than Taiwan, and sparsely populated with only about 800,000 people in the entire country. It has a lot of geographically remote villages with bitter winters in the Himalayas and milder ones in the central valleys. The Bhutanese name for their country is Drukyuk, which means Land of the Thunder Dragon a reference to the winds that come howling down from the mountains. Bhutan was an absolute monarchy up to 2008 when the new constitution was ratified, allowing universal suffrage. There is now a bicameral parliament with both houses serving five-year terms. It's a hereditary monarchy and has been since 1907, but with recent reforms, the monarch can actually be removed with a two-thirds vote of parliament. Thimpu is the capital, and the official languages are Zonka and English, but there are a few other equally prominent languages in that country. It has the 59th highest infant mortality rate in the world, with 32 per 1,000 live births. It's also 59th highest in child malnutrition. There's a very high risk of infectious diseases, such as diarrhea, hepatitis A, and typhus, as well as dengue fever. There have, however, been significant increases in sanitation and drinking water access in the past 20 years. According to the UN's Human Development Index, from 2016, only 8.3% of seats in national parliaments were held by women. The overall literacy rate is 65% for adults, but for young people ages 15 to 24, it's about 88 and 90% and pretty evenly split between men and women, so there's a generational gap there. About 60% of people are farmers, only 10% in industry, the rest in services. Its biggest trading partner, unsurprisingly, is India. Since the Chinese Revolution in 1949, Bhutan has looked south to India for treaties but remained isolated by choice. The Chinese takeover of neighboring Tibet immediately prompted Bhutan to begin a five-year plan of economic development intended to open up the country, and that was funded by India. There was a mass forced deportation of ethnically Nepalese Bhutanese, many of them citizens, from the southern part of the country during the 1990s. There were huge refugee camps in Nepal, and despite negotiations, most of those 100,000-plus refugees were resettled in third countries, the majority of them in the United States, as well as Australia, Canada, and Europe. The Bhutanese government threw out GDP as a measure of prosperity and introduced what they call the Gross National Happiness Index to gauge national development. Less than half have access to the internet, mostly through cell phones. About two-thirds of roads are unpaved and there are two airports. It is really hard to get places in Bhutan, but with assistance from donors such as the Asian Development Bank, Bhutan has worked on improving road connectivity, travel times and walking distance. Rural isolation remains a hindrance to socioeconomic development. So this is in four parts. Part one, a foreign-trained academic librarian talks about the challenges of funding. Part two, a school librarian talks about the difficulty of finding training. Part three, the municipal public librarian in the capital, Timpu, the only one of its kind in the entire country. And part four, the country director of the international NGO Read Bhutan and their stellar work building libraries in remote communities around the country. So on to part one. Uh, I think Bhutan Bhutan has remained very much secluded and isolated uh, for a long time back. And the internet came to Bhutan. Internet was introduced to Bhutan in 1990s. And there one, I think the information technology has rapidly grown in the country. And now I think the people have, every individual have a smartphone in their pocket. So that's Sonam Wangdi, an academic librarian. And like everyone else I spoke to, he thinks a lot about a librarian's possible role in national development. I, I think that the Bhutan is a very small country and we are a developing country. And as a developing country, I think the government has a lot of priority works, such as education, such as uh, elevation, elevating poverty reductions, such as healthcare. So therefore, I think the library is somehow neglected. And it seems that the library is important, but not necessary 
as a as at, at the current situation i mean the education i know we all accept this education is one of the powerful weapons to change the society or change maybe like uh, uh bring a development or uh, to 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 the nation or uh, change the society so information is one of the powerful weapon to to achieve the the goal of the education so therefore library plays a very very important role in terms of disseminating in information in terms of accessing knowledge and information for every citizens so let's take a step back sonam is an academic librarian at the ugyen wangchuk institute for conservation and environmental research my institute is uh, it's it's a government based research i mean the more focused with the environment and conservation uh, research institution i have i have a one colleague uh, who assists me but uh, recently she left for her study and now i am left all alone so i have to do all the works uh, uh, starting from for maybe like for next couple of years uh, before she turn, maybe returns back so at the institute uh, you know the as a librarian all sort of things cataloging classification arranging then maybe like checking out checking all all sort of a normal work i also teach uh, information literacy model to uh, i mean the forester course and apart from that i also do a cross cutting research uh, with the social science department there are a lot of researchers working on related to the environment and forests and biodiversity and conservation works as such i can guide the immature or novice researchers in terms of doing research i also do know how what kind of informations are re- needed for the researchers that that is maybe like almost 50% of my time spent in doing research i asked sonam what people thought about librarian as a profession it's not really a extreme job a profession that uh, public or maybe like other other people could see that as a librarian as a custodian of book or maybe like a, a bookstore keeper or something like that and when i heard that librarians uh, they feel that librarian have an, has 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 no 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 job or no work in the library and in some schools i think librarians have made them to do a babysitting for a teacher so those kind of things has been uh, a news for us but uh, i think increasingly uh, this job is becoming a little bit of more recognized than the past one thing i found interesting is that in bhutan there is a document precisely detailing the responsibilities of a librarian but sonam doesn't think much of it i asked him who wrote it oh that's written by government <laughs> it has been written long time back and it has never changed and i think there is a lot of uh, I, i think the the redundant works are, are also mentioned in the in this those kind of uh, terms of reference but uh, that is just i i don't think uh, most of the librarians are following this yeah sort of guidelines i don't know i i, I may not be following maybe like i might be just following 20 or 30% of that guide, guidelines or rules terms of reference so he doesn't have much money or time but sonam has a dream project to modernize his library i need to digitize my all the old reports and government documents because we have uh, all reports and documents since 1970s So those kind of reports are already collecting a dust dust in my shelf. I asked Sonam where most librarians are trained. So they are mostly like recruited directly from the class 12, yeah, 10 plus 2. And they have they have no training, they have no experience or they have no I mean the 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 library training as such to run the library. And across the country I think there are over more than 300 plus librarians. uh in schools and different organizations and institutions but there are only couple of uh, trained librarians i think it would not cross more than 10 librarians in the country so at current situation i i also do i i'm also one of a adjunct lecturer at samsi college of education whereby they have start a couple of years back they have started diploma in library and information management in the country but before that we do not have any sort of a training organization of any agency that take cares of the library professions so in that case i think most of the the qualified librarians are retained in the western countries like uk yeah united kingdom so i also did my masters from united kingdom also like a couple of my friends also they did their masters uh, masters or from scotland i think one of my colleague he did it from australia 
another guy who is, is a friend of mine who did his master's from, I think, Canada. But now I think the Samsi College of Education under Royal University of Bhutan has started a, a diploma in library and information management. And they have, I think this year, this year they are going to pass out the first batch. Uh, but uh, they, it looks like it's going to stop from the second batch because because of there are a lot of hiccups from the government policies and also there's a denial sort of a thing from the government so uh, probably the second batch would be the last batch for this uh, course so samsi college of education is dropping the funding of its diploma leaving a huge training gap sanam faced this training gap before and he actually did something about it there was no training or no workshops or no seminars as such for the librarians and in 2012, I have called up with my friends and called a library library conference here at my institute. And we have gathered at least, uh, we, we got at least 10 participants from different organizations, different institutions and Royal University of Bhutan. And then I have proposed to establish the Bhutan Library Consortium. Could at least held once in a year and then we could invite all the librarians and the library stops across the country and then we meet every annual every year and then we discuss those kind of things and then maybe like we also share the expertise within within the ourselves and also how can we share the resources within ourselves within a small country like Bhutan uh, those kind of issues were discussed and this is still going on and then I had been Bhutan the chair chairperson for Bhutan Library Consortium for last uh, I think four or five years uh, so from 2016 onwards uh, we thought that a national library is the, is the is the best institution to lead this Bhutan Library Consortium. And then uh, with the according consensus from the different library members, we have handed over to Bhutan, the, the National Library. And National Library is taking care of this. And they are leading the Bhutan Library Consortium as of now. And it's it's, it's really doing well. So Sanam was passionate about high... Li- so Sanam is passionate... So Sanam Wangdi is passionate about how libraries can make a real difference to national development and had some strong ideas about modernization, but he was also a little pessimistic about funding priorities. So information literacy skills, maybe like a, uh, contributing in terms of teaching or giving in information literacy would be another another area where we can contribute, whereby, you know, a lot of informations are on internet and millions and millions of internet and we are actually in fact drowned in those informations and how do we evaluate how do we filter and get the relevant information sources and then maybe there are a lot of opportunities but uh, those opportunities can be also be be a challenge Uh, it's it's easier said than done and Bhutan being a very small country I think resource sharing would be a very very important thing that will that will save a lot of cost for the government because right now what's really happening is although we are very small the libraries are located in a different locations but different libraries are procuring their own resources whereby sometimes the maybe like uh, the resources that which i am procuring maybe already procured and maybe like uh, in in somebody's library shelf where what why why can't we share uh, collaborating and cooperation among the libraries is a, is a, another area of opportunity maybe like uh, subscribing to your ebooks then maybe like uh, the all reports and documents getting digitized as i said uh, we will have to depend on the funding uh, the budget or the funding is a actual real constant for us uh, in terms of uh, in terms of making sure that uh, our citizens have access to high quality information resources whereby this will be able to uh, maybe like uh, make sure that we have a strong society. So if we wanted to have a strong society, we need to have a strong libraries across the nation. So as of now, we don't have, we don't have such a, maybe like a strong library capacities in the, in the country. That was Sonam Wangdi, academic librarian. Now on to part two. Since uh, it's only low secondary school, but right now we are having around 1,000 plus students. It's only me. That's Lakshmi Subba, a school librarian in Gelafu in the south on the border with India. 
but in terms of our school library we have mostly story books and a very less number of uh, non fiction reference materials around uh, 12000 plus we have mostly uh, only english and i think botanist uh, zongha other than that we do not have mostly they are going for adventure and then some are going for that uh, nicholas spark uh, shakespeare's uh, uh, books also this is my ninth year running like in the beginning we were simply appointed as library assistant like given two weeks training by our chief librarian and after that that diploma course it came like every year we were given six modules uh, they taught us classification cataloging and all fulfill users need and how to do follow ups and all like what kind of questions we should ask and how should we help users this year is my final and hopefully i'll graduate next year she's almost done with her diploma and after that lakshmi a school library assistant for 9 years is ready to move on we are not uh, able to expose more get exposure but in terms of like university libraries i think librarian they, they get more exposure more trainings and all they get more knowledge comparing to us it's very rare that uh, school librarians get opportunity to have any kind of training and uh, recruiting as diploma i think it was our luck because we are the first and last batch of the diploma program and government have stopped uh, the giving that training i don't know why i think maybe because of budget they are providing this uh, course but then we have to pay so from now on if you want to be trained at samsi college you'll have to pay which is a tough call if you're a library assistant in a school and like right now uh uh we are around uh, 23 uh, who have been attending a diploma program if they are willing to pay by i mean self funding uh, samsi college is providing that program Lakshmi likes her job. I asked her how many of the new kids could read. I think like uh, some students I think they are handling for the first time and some students like they have the experience since like they have books at their home also. Like we could see like those students who have already experience I mean already who have exposure to books are very good with the reading also. some students are really very good even great one they can speak read english so nicely and some <laughs> yes they do not know how to read they just flip pages i think they are looking mostly pictures and lakshmi doesn't use a computer in the library she'd like to but she can't no we have computer but i do not use because that computer it's so old and it's not working properly and in our school we use card system for circulation uh like uh, we have it lab as well uh, in our school like in it lab i think they use computer but in library we have only one computer for me and that does not work well and uh, for circulation and all i i do i mean i have adopted that card system so students do not uh, use computer in library but in my previous school we used to have uh, e library services like some of the schools in bhutan they have that e library services whereby students can use computer get information from internet so as she wraps up her diploma lakshmi thinks that's the end for now of school librarians being trained at samsi college of education uh that diploma program we have second batch but all members are like uh universities librarians not a single one from school that was lakshmi subha school librarian in gelafu part 3 I have been working for 11 years now. Uh it was uh, existed uh, uh from since from 1978. It was formally established in 1978. Okay, so that's Sering Funso, the only municipal public librarian in all of Bhutan at the Jigme Dorje Wangchuk Public Library in the capital Thimphu. Most of their books are in English but some in Zonka. 
Yeah, we have very few Zonka actually. We have, uh, I mean, like the publication in Zonka is very less. Uh, we have very few authors. Uh, most of the books are from from other countries, and we have like very few organizations and printing press where Zonka books are published. And the mainly the Zonka books are for for the young kids, all folk tales. And we have very few publications from GDC, uh, I mean Zonka Development Commission uh, in Bhutan. Dictionaries, English Zonka dictionaries, and Zonka dictionary and all. And we have like few novels uh, in Zonka. That's all. I asked him what the kids are reading in Timpu. Especially the graphic novels. Mostly we read with the, go with the Jirinimo Stilton, you know. And also like they go with the other stories like uh, Enid Blyton, uh, Harry Potter. And also like one, one I can say it's a Percy Jackson series. Percy Jackson again. He was mentioned by my Guatemalan interviewees in the last episode. They do some reading programs in the library? We conduct programs on every Saturday. Uh, every Saturday, the small kids come and, and we used to read for them. We have like a, a group of volunteers uh, called Friends of the Library who come and read for them. We have like two holidays, uh, summer holidays and winter holidays. And during the holidays, we conduct twice a uh, reading program twice a week. That's on Wednesday and Saturday. And also like we focus mainly on the small children because like um, the adults, we don't get much users. And they also have a mobile library. Uh, we have like a bus equipped with the books inside, like around 4,000 books inside the bus. And we used to go around the city. As of now, we have like six locations we are going. Uh, and also like we do alternative Sundays, one location. In one location, we keep for three hours. And in other location, we keep for three hours. That's for six hours. We used to operate for nine hours, actually. But uh, uh, recently, we have a problem with the bus and we couldn't go. And those kids, we are mainly focusing on the low-level income uh, group. The library is funded by the municipality of Thimpu, but does have an annual fee to help fund. But Sering says it's relatively low. Uh, for adults, it costs 15 neutron uh, per year. And we keep security deposit of uh, new 500. And that's refundable. Whenever they withdraw their membership, they will get back the 500. For small kids, uh, we keep uh, uh, 250 security deposit and 25 is of annual membership. A Ngultrum is the unit of currency in Bhutan, and how many members do they have? Approximately 4,000. 4, and also uh, we have like regular members, we have like 1,000, more than 1,700 plus. The library is automated. To manage their costs, they use Koha, a free catalog with no fees. I asked Sharing if he felt supported by the city of Timpu. I don't think so. We don't get much support. Like, I mean, like libraries like behind in Bhutan. I don't know why. Maybe some bureaucrats, they don't show much importance to library and librarians. I don't think so. We, we, they will have uh, other, other public libraries uh, within the country. Uh, even like our libraries, they, we don't get much support. He has to fight for his money. <laughs> I, I'm fed up of fighting now. Yes, because like sometimes they used to say, you're small, your building is very small. You don't have space to keep these uh, books. Now we have to. Uh, that's the main reason why they are, they're uh, reducing the our uh, annual budget. They in reality they, they uh, our like high authorities they even don't stay in, in, inside the library and they don't know what is doing what's going with us. I mean, but Herring tells them what they need to know, gives them his data to convince them to fund the library, and what he really needs is a new building. I, uh, I I'm I'm just thinking. Will I able to get the proper building to set up a very big library in Bhutan? I mean, in public library in Bhutan. Just uh, this, these are all my thinkings, but I don't know how far it will go, how far it will work, because like if we don't have support, then I can't do it alone. So Sering's stuck in a catch-22 here. The authorities are saying no to a new building, but then telling him that he doesn't need more funds for books because his building is so small. We also talked about the changes he's seen in Timpu. The city has seen a lot of population growth in the past 10 or 20 years, and he's not sure if it's keeping up with the influx of people. The 10 years before, we have very few buildings uh, in the capital, even in the capital. Now, I can see like uh, many of the buildings, uh, now it's getting very congested. Rural urban migration is very much uh, rampant. Uh, there's uh, many people who want to come to the come to the capital to work and stay uh, for the betterment of their life and we could uh, we could see a lot of uh, jobless people and Charing's observed this rural urban migration and he wonders how the new arrivals will cope so like we have better facilities 
like uh, uh, school and also like uh, health facilities. I like all all of this, but I don't like uh, the people coming from village where they lived all their land and house. Most of Bhutan are now getting emptied in the rural areas where most of them are coming uh, to the town areas. I can see many of them struggling, coming uh, struggling. That was Sering Funso, librarian at Jigme Dorje Wangchuk Public Library in Dimpu. Now on to part four. Okay. Uh, so, Reed started in Bhutan in the year of December uh, 2009, in December 2009, and uh, it, uh, as you know, REIT stands for Rural Education and Development. It started with a Gates grant. Uh, REIT existed in Nepal since 1991, I think. And um, since it was a success in Nepal, so they wanted to replicate the model in uh, two other countries in South Asia, and it was uh, India and Bhutan. So India started in 19. I think 2008, and the third country to operate was in Bhutan. And the reason, I think, one of the reasons why Bhutan is uh, the concept of public library or community libraries uh, didn't exist then. There was only one national library in the whole of the country, which is in Thimpu, which is the capital of Bhutan. This is Kamal Azom, the country director of Read Bhutan. As you heard, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funded it at the beginning as they have done to so many international library projects. Like the Guatemalan NGOs from last episode, they have a careful model for building a new library. The Read model is um, before we go to a community and um, say that I think you need a library, we're going to construct a library. That's not the approach we take. Normally, we uh, mobilize uh, communities and uh, share information what a Read center is. So upon knowing what Reed Center is and how they can benefit the community, um, communities submit expressions of interest to us to have a library in their community. And uh, the requirement is that uh, the community either mobilizes funds to uh, donate a land or there may be an existing community building which is not utilized. So there has to be some investment, like uh, not necessarily uh, in terms of funds, but also in terms of kind. And we then um, uh, do fundraising for um, for constructing the REIT center there. And sometimes uh, there has been different um, different uh, model, models with different communities in the sense like there are some communities who has donated land and we mobilize funds and resources to build but community also additionally donates uh, free labor to build the uh, library. And there are cases where um, community has already uh, donated a space and uh, building and we just do minor refurbishment and resource the center. So we believe that is their contribution. We take that as their contribution and uh, we believe that gives them the sense of um, ownership because they have also equally invested it just didn't come as a entire gift package to them for them to uh, take care of in the long run it does uh, make them feel that they own the center also they're an equal partner reed devolves a lot of decision making to a local board and builds local partnerships we uh, recruit people from within the community to manage the library and that those selection process is also um, handed over to the we call them the library or the center management committee, also chosen by the community themselves. So these com- committees work as a board of the library, and um, therefore they have decision-making um, authority in terms of uh, selection of who will manage the center and appointment, as well as what kind of programs they would like to have over the year. So we do facilitate and mobilize funds, and we also uh, do monitor and help them, uh, assist them in terms of implementing the programs that happen in the center, in the library throughout the year. We facilitate the meeting because uh, uh, every new community 
as we uh, go from communities to communities, we learn from different experiences that we had as we uh, are providing the services. We involve a lot of uh, locally elected leaders also in terms of the conceptualization of the library, and they are also quite active. So there are a lot of partnerships at the at the local level also. There are uh, locally elected government bodies who also be part of the center management committee. The decision comes from them them themselves. They are more. We believe they are more informed on who's more capable of managing such uh, such entities at their level. All the read libraries once established have the same basic resources. It it also serves uh, communities in various other ways in terms of their um, information needs. So basically, uh, we have um, a library which is which is uh, stocked with three thousand to five thousand books, and also the information and communication technology section with um, with a minimum of five computers and uh, and also like if the connectivity allows depending on how remote the community is uh, there is internet services and uh, audiovisual room children's room and women's room and a training hall where a community can get livelihood training as with any new organization, there's a learning process to navigate the cultural shift. So uh, from the experiences we have had so far, um, since it was a new concept, um, adult engagement was a bit challenging because as you go uh, to the rural parts of Bhutan, most of the adults are not literate. So getting them engaged with the activities of the center, not necessarily in terms of um, reading the library books, but also in terms of um, engaging with the center in, and understanding that um, the services are for them. And it is because we have this, uh, right from the beginning, we have the community ownership uh, concept that we want to instill in the communities so that in the long run it's sustainable. They take ownership and they are more engaged. Like Guatemala, there's a conceptual shift that comes down to what a library is for and for whom. These uh, challenges vary. And I think the reason why adult engagement is a challenge is because they associate libraries, computers and books mostly with kids and young children. So we have more young children and kids using the centre. Uh, than adult engagement. Adult engagement is mostly when we have livelihood skills training program and when we have some meetings, that's where they uh, feel that uh, I think their their usefulness, let's say. But they think like books and ICT, computer, it's not um, really where they uh, should be engaging in. But we are trying to, we are trying to um, change that because um, in today's world, I think it's equally important for them to keep in, be informed and also use uh, different uh, sources of information as much as they can. And like the Timpu Municipal Library, they use Zonka and English. Kind of bilingual, because our official language is English. So English does become important tool for them as they move out of their community and when they come to the bigger towns and uh, most of the signboards uh, signages are in English so it helps for them to learn the English so there's a, like a significant number of women particularly who are trying to learn English through our read centers but given the size of the collections they don't automate and then it's not an electronic system it's still a manual uh, system we register we maintain a register on the books checked out and the kind of services that uh, we've been providing through the center. We are in the process of transitioning to a very um, simple Excel Excel um, system. Right now, it's just like just in 2017 we decided that I think we need to transition into something like that because we do have computers in the center. So. Uh, we'll, we are in. Uh, we should train our librarians there to use and maintain a proper record rather than doing it still manually. I asked Karma how they purchase their collections. 
So basically, um, when we have a project like uh, with different communities, the costs are all uh, embedded in that. Uh, for books also, the costs are embedded in the entire project. And the other thing is sometimes we do receive donations from visitors who visit the center and sometimes even from like uh, there might be some local um, people who has uh, connections with different uh, people like in Thimpu. So there are people interested who comes and donates books to us. But uh, essentially the initial stock is part of the project and Every few years, like we've been in operation for like nine plus years. So, so far, we also have the system of reading out book and then uh, depending on how, what books does well in what community, we uh, also shift book from one center to the other. So basically we buy um, children's books mostly because uh, children are the like maximum user of the center. Books are both in English and in Zonka. And uh, the only thing is like in Zonka, Zonka is our national language. And um, we don't have a very like diverse and rich published books in Zonka. So in order to meet different needs of the community, because there are some communities uh, who are only literate in Zonka. So we have Zonka books and um, also some like the Buddhist scriptures. Those scriptures are used for rituals in, in different households. So some households may not have those scriptures. So we make it available at the re uh, library so that they can come and borrow when they need it. So, so these are decided again, like we decide the selection of the books also uh, in consultation with the com community members like mostly the Read Center Committee. One of the most innovative aspects of Read Bhutan is that they actually try to establish local businesses that help fund the libraries. Call for sustainability of the center. We have a seed fund to, we keep aside a seed fund to invest in a business in that community. In, the, in one of the centers, which is located in the southern part of Bhutan, we've had a farm tractor rental. We partnered with a local agriculture cooperative to um, manage the center. So the local agriculture cooperative manages the tractor, farm tractor for reed center. So we, so that's one. And the others we've had uh, in the past is also a poultry farm and beekeeping like in community, in another community. And, uh, We've also supported very recently um, a, re a shop and a canteen because these are the kind of business that does well in s these small uh, uh, communities. Okay. So depending on what is possible in these communities, we try and invest on those kind of businesses. As mentioned before, Zonka and English are the written languages of the country. Uh, so we have... Uh, several regional languages, but these are mostly spoken languages. And uh, those, we don't have books available in those because there's no scriptures for the regional languages. Basically, everyone who goes to school, um, everyone who has had, uh, have the opportunity to get educated, have, can understand uh, English and also Zonka. So we mostly focus on these two. But others, uh, during the consultation meetings and all, they can use whatever language that they want to communicate in. Now, the thing I'm most excited to share with you about Bhutan's Reed Centers are their fantastic women's health programs. In fact, as Karma mentioned a minute ago, they have women's rooms in each of the centers, and women form a huge part of their vision for each center's success. I'm going to let Karma speak at length here because it really demonstrates just how much work they do to identify the health and social needs of their female patrons and then tailor programs to those needs. I'll be back in several minutes, and here she is. Okay, so women's health program um, started, uh, actually we have what we called a women's room, where um, women can exclusively come, uh, come and exclusively speak on issues that concerns women only. Not necessarily just in health or health per se, but, but it can be anything like a household domestic problem or any issues that they would like to go. That's the provision that we have. And as we um, experienced that women were more interested in talking about 
their health, concerning their health, like um, mostly uh, our experience has been through the through the program that we've had uh, in one of the centers a long time ago. Uh, women are very, um, very uh, not very open in terms of talking about um, the menstrual health or uh, the issues that concerns with uh, cervical health, cancer issues. So these are very, uh, they feel shy. Women feel shy to go to the hospital and talk to strange people. So through that, we thought we can provide a platform for them to overcome. Like these are not um, something to be embarrassed of, but that they can speak freely about issues because these are issues that concerns with every other woman. And also it should concern with all the family members of their uh, household. So through that, we've had women coming forward and asking for services of uh, pap smear test and also um, so that's how we conducted pap smear tests for women women would feel embarrassed to go to a hospital or a nearby clinic to do that but through the reach center because they have had uh, developed that confidence and association with the center they could uh, overcome uh, that uh, embarrassment and that's how they started availing the services. We tried to replicate that in other centers and we also partnered with a local um, local NGO called Bhutan Cancer Society. So these are uh, in, in providing services on uh, menstrual health and cancer, uh, cervical cancer awareness because our statistics show that uh, most of the women who are diagnosed with cervical cancer are diagnosed at the last stage. So that's then they associate cervical cancer with um, um, death, no? So it's we wanted to break that myth also, like uh, you could, if you're diagnosed early, and how do you diagnose early is through pap smear test and going to the hospital regularly for checkup. So these are things, and also menstrual hygiene is one thing that we are focusing on for younger women. So that, that became very popular and we've been um, doing that uh, with all our REACH centers. And we also partner with the Ministry of Health, popular gynecologists come and uh, also conduct such health camps at the center. So then that makes uh, women, because women more confident to come forward and uh, avail such services, more, uh, it's, it's more focused on them. And I think they feel uh, more um, uh, taken care of. I don't know, that's what I am uh, thinking the reason why they, there's more turnout when we have such camps at the REACH centers for women. And the other thing that we've been doing for women's health is also distribution of reusable sanitary napkins uh, in partnership with uh, Days for Girls Australia. So Days for Girls Australia approached us up upon finding our women's health program, like uh, in rural Bhutan, uh, there are still uh, there are girls who still cannot afford uh, sanitary napkins. So there are uh, girls who are resorting to unhealthy menstrual hygiene practices. So we did some kind of a survey in partnership with schools, local schools, to find out if there were girls who were using such, uh, not using sanitary pads and resorting to unhygienic practices. And we found that there was, there was a critical number of uh, girls who were doing that. And uh, we thought that was a good opportunity to um, distribute those uh, sanitary napkins. It was not just uh, calling up a set of girls and distributing the pads, but it was more like um, it was an education program that we do with the girls and make them share their own stories. And then we share, we also do menstrual hygiene and also in the process, educate them on women's health in general. So. That's the program that we, we have been doing with different communities uh, at the nine reach centers that we have all over the country. And we've also had women come and share stories. Um, they've had problems. And if they wouldn't have availed that services, they wouldn't have detected those problems, in particularly in terms of cervical cancer. So how that has uh, changed her herself and her outlook towards her own health and she's now in a position to influence others to 
do such checkups regularly. We believe these these are success. There are women like some of the information that we gather is if not for the kind of services that Reed provided, they would they wouldn't have had uh, availed the services. So we consider that as a success as well because we take the services to them. Those are so great, and this is why I love Reed's work in Bhutan. But they don't claim to be experts, so they do this through careful partnerships. Yes, because we are not in health experts, so we do we just facilitate and we have a space, so that uh, helps for our partners also. They also have other programs for their communities. Yes, uh, in agriculture. So we do uh, conduct livelihood skills program for uh, different communities. It's mostly in agriculture and sometimes we've, we've done sewing program also. But uh, the partnership has been um, more in the agriculture sector because, again, there um, we again consult with the local communities on the kind of uh, kind of uh, livelihood skills, particularly in agriculture, that they would like. Although the government has all these uh, services provided for, but there are always some who who do not have access to such services. So ours is more focused in their community that they get to have this. They don't have to go a bit far out of their community to avail the services. So this helps in terms of meeting their needs. So we've partnered with... Uh, the Ministry of Agriculture, they have these regional offices in different parts of the country. So we partner with the local agriculture extension offices who comes to who makes use of the centers in terms of distribution of seeds, you no know, quality seeds, or in terms of um, teaching them how to grow vegetables. We have also partnered with the post harvest uh, division of the Ministry of Agriculture, where they come. We we mobilize the community. We also, where possible, provide the provide the resources. But Ministry of this post harvest division experts or some, so we make use them as experts in terms of uh, bottling fruits or in terms of making pickles out of the fruits that they have in the community, which they don't know what to do with once they are harvested. So we've been providing post-harvest trainings to the community in partnership with the Ministry of Agriculture. And remember, Bhutan has been a constitutional monarchy only since 2008, so there's a real need for civic education. So we are going to have a third election this year. We did education, civic and democracy education for the community members as well as for the young people, the students. So with the students, what we did is we went to the schools and conducted this one-day workshop on uh, democracy and what does civic engagement mean and what uh, some sort of voter education also, like to know who you, how do you decide who to vote for. And we did this last year. So it was very well received. So we'll be having another round of similar program, basically focusing more on the rights versus responsibilities as a citizen of that community and as a citizen of the country itself. So far, I think um, it has it has been very interesting. And also, we also learn a lot about the communities, the way they think. And so it is a two-way process. Reed Bhutan takes an outcome-based approach to assessing the success of their programs. That's where we also, like, try to understand and measure like what are they doing after this livelihood skills training are they starting some home-based businesses like maybe it's not a business as such but some sort of uh, additional income that he or she would have had through such uh, through the like, post-harvest facilities in the past we've also done in textile and in sewing with the women and there are women who've started home-based uh, services from uh, selling and then making income out of the skills that they have acquired through the Reed Center. And they do this great kids program. And the Recon Foundation did this in Guatemala too. And it led to a publication. We've published a children's book through the program that we've had over a period of one year. We've engaged uh, the elderly of the uh, elderly people of the village and the children to do a storytelling uh, program. 
they share we we called it the folktale project because uh, increasingly because because bhutan is a very oral society and most of the folk tales are now not being told because uh, of so many other distractions that we've had and old people only old people know this uh, folk tales unlike in the past where every evening people gather and then tell stories that was only the form of entertainment but now that is no longer the practice so we thought it would be a very good uh, program for the young children to come and listen to elder people uh, narrating folk tales so we've had that project where children uh, were listening asking questions and listening to elder people and elder people narrated folk tales and then they the children were taught on how to uh, write and illustrate also as a practice on how to illustrate the stories that they've heard and eventually this was a project in two communities so we selected two st- two stories from each community and illustrated and wrote them and published them just when i thought reed couldn't get any better i wanted to mention this in one of the centers we also have a community radio station that was installed as part of the government's initiative to start implementing community radios in in the country so out of the three uh, there are so far in the country there's only five such radio stations two are campus radio stations and three are community radio stations and um, out of the three one is managed by the reach center in pemagatsel that is in the eastern part of the country and two is managed by another ngo local ngo so community radio station has been very uh, very interesting project for us in the sense like the reach center which is there in the east is in one of the remote uh, remote places it is uh, so there's a gypsum um, quarry company there uh, the reach center is in partnership with them and it is on a hill so the station can be accessed by nine villages so that enhances our services in terms of information sharing information and education mm-hmm. so there has been like incidences in the past where uh, local government has also availed the services of the radio station to broadcast um, uh, announcements or notifications particularly in terms of during the last local government election local election officer also made use of the station in terms of introducing the local uh, candidates to the community members this is a new concept and the communities are also learning we're learning from each other on how to make the library sustainable uh, trying to figure out although we have the sustaining enterprise model to sustain the center as we move along but uh, i would only think like community engagement and ownership differs from communities to communities some communities are more engaged and take more ownership whereas some don't as much as we would want to so that's the only uh, challenge main challenge that i particularly think we have that's what we try and do like make people aware of how they can make use of the center and it's it's a community space and it is for everybody irrespective of whether they're irrespective of the gender or lit- literacy level even if they're illiterate they can still come and make use of the center so we try and make it as friendly as possible So that was Kama Lazom, country director of NGO Read Bhutan, building vital rural community libraries across the country. That's it for episode two of Interlibrary. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please do leave a review on iTunes. It really does help other people find it or just tell a friend. The music from this episode is Where It Goes by Jazar, and it's used under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. There's a link on the website. You can download Interlibrary from iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or from the website interlibrarypod.com. In the next episode, I talk to librarians in Nigeria, the most populous country in Africa, and the seventh most populous country in the world. It's very different than the first two episodes. A lot of challenges and a lot of good work. 
I hope you'll join me.
Music from this episode is Where It Goes by Jazar, and it's used under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. There's a link on the website. You can download Interlibrary from iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or from the website interlibrarypod.com. In the next episode, I talk to librarians in Nigeria, the most populous country in Africa, and the seventh most populous country in the world. It's very different than the first two episodes. A lot of challenges and a lot of good work. I hope you'll join me.